Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. I am Steve Norman. I'm joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Liam, who we usually get on when we're doing foreign film specials or talking about foreign films. But you've joined us for this one this time. I have indeed, yep. Good evening. Welcome back. It wasn't so long ago you were you were on here last either. No, no, it's only about, a few weeks ago. Yeah, about a fortnight ago, yeah. Yeah, all good fun. <laughs> Even with Paul? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, we had a good laugh with it. Uh, I would imagine um, some people learnt a few new swear words, but uh, other than that, it was it was all good fun. Good, good. Well, this week uh, takes a bit of a TV special um, theme, as our triple bill is three favourites uh, movies based on TV shows or TV characters. I'm not doing any new release reviews this week because they didn't look much good, and so we're doing triple bill instead. We have got what we've been watching where we're going to review some films that people have seen this week. And the good news, Owen, is I've done a quiz this week. Yeah, hey. So well cur- currently it's nil-nil, <laughs> as I didn't do one last week. I reviewed that awful Adam Sandler film. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so the way this quiz will take place is it's Owen versus Liam. Uh, Liam scoring, trying to score points on my behalf. Um, and with it being a bit of a TV theme this week, I have got the lyrics to some TV show introductions, which I'm going to read out. You have to shout out when you know the name of the TV show. And whoever guesses the most right out of the, um, however as many it is I've got down, wins. Mm-hmm. Okay. Understand? Yeah, I do. Okay. I'm not going to sing these, by the way. I'm just going to read them out. Oh, that's a Because if I sing them, they'll that's... give away the tune as well, and it might make it too easy. Oh, okay. You could try and sing them all to a specific theme. You could try and squeeze them all into the theme I of something like that. I could rap couldn't I? Just rap. <laughs> you could rap I'm not all. going to, but I could. That would be an, that's uh, an option. You can't tease those other than... Or I could power ballad all of them. But again, I'm not going to. <laughs> I would prefer a, a big Willie-style rap, to be honest. You don't want to hear me doing a power ballad? <laughs> not, not especially. Well, okay. but, you know, if it's a choice between the two. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to do either. I'm just going to read... Uh, uh, the first one, everybody's got a special kind of story. Everybody finds a way to shine. It don't matter that you got not a lot. It's terrible grammar there. <laughs> so what? They'll have theirs, you'll have yours, and I'll have mine. And together we'll be fine. Not, not a clue. <laughs> I no. It sounds familiar. Actually, it? it sounds like something I should know. Um, I haven't a clue. A sitcom, I presume. This is a sitcom. Is it Cheers? It's not Cheers. Uh, 
I don't know, something like the Brady Bunch or something around that era, no? Uh, seeing as you've both had a guess now, I, I'll reveal <laughs> the answer. It's different strokes. Oh, okay. Mm. So, nil nil. This nil, is going to go well. Yeah, I can yeah, tell. Good, good yep. start. Uh, mm. The second one, they say I might as well face the truth that I'm just too long in the tooth. Oh, I'm an O.A.P. Well, I'm in the grave, isn't it? It is. Uh, it is. Yeah. Well done, Liam. You're correct. <laughs> that one went slightly better than the last one. Yeah. Yep. Right, next up. You're still in bed at 10 and work began at 8. You've burned your... Oh, uh, friends. Yes, Owen. Oh. Yes, back in the game. Yeah. There's nowhere near that one. <laughs> okay. Next up, then. She said... You're one in a million. You've got to burn to shine. But you were born under a bad sign with a blue moon in your eyes. Sopranos. Yes, Liam, the Sopranos. <sighs> Good guess. Or knowledge, I should say. <laughs> that was to undermine what you did there. Never got into the programme, but knew the theme song. Was it the Alabama 3 or something? That's what being from over here, aren't they? Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> Uh, next up with the scores 2-1 to Liam lucky there's a man who positively can uh, family guy yeah that was too easy yeah. that one yeah okay two... how many more of these just have you one got? more you... which is quite oh, nice of it being next... two all and going into the final one yeah. um, mm. by the time I grab my books and I give myself a look I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by uh, it's not ringing any bells with me at all, that one, I don't think. Think 90s. Yeah. Think very much aimed at teenagers. 90s sitcom, aimed at teenagers. American. Yeah. I, I'm i drawing a... Bl- I can't believe it. Give us the lyrics again. Give us one more By point. the time I grab my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. No. Not doing it. No, it's not in my head at all. Though. Don't, don't know it. No. Right. What if I read some more lyrics from the <laughs> Keep going. So I'll start yeah. from yeah. the beginning because I didn't. Um, I didn't start at the beginning. I started halfway through to try and make it a bit more cool. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm going to start at the beginning. When I wake up in the morning and the alarm gives out a warning, I don't think I'll ever make it on time. Now we're on to the bit that I've done. By the time I grab my books and I give myself a look, I'm at the corner just in time to see the bus fly by. It's all right, because I'm... And then there's the name of the show, so I can't do that bit. Saved by the bell? Yes, Owen. Oh. oh. Well done. So Owen wins 3-2 in that oh. fantastic round of people <laughs> droll voice. Oh Bring back Paul, that's all I say. <laughs> Paul's good with quizzes. Like, not... Not, he not when he's uh, answering questions. When he's got to think of a quiz to make up, he's quite good. Yeah. So, anyway. That was a decent one. Though. That was a bit different. That one that was a good one. It was quite hard because there's not many like new TV shows like nowadays that have intros with songs in them or lyrics in them. So I was thinking. Well, they do, and they go on forever. You know, something like True Blood. Used to go on for just to drive me mad. It used to go on for ages and ages, or The Wire, or I mean, it's, a, it's a, one of the good things about watching box sets on Netflix these days. You just skim them, don't you? Nobody sits there through the, the fucking, you know, 
opening theme every single no, episode anymore. No matter how good the opening theme is. What's the yeah, best, I mean, like what's Game of the best opening theme ever? I do like the Game of Thrones one. Best ever, though? Yeah. That is a good question. Hmm. I do like the Sopranos. Yeah. Um, Juice. I mean, I do like The Wire. The Wire's got a very good theme tune. It just it takes forever. Jukes of Hazard had something about it. I used to like that. <laughs> Completely different think... to what the sort of thing you're yeah. talking about. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the the obvious things are like, you know, Only Fools and Horses or, um, you know, Friends or something that's got quite a, a memorable, catchy tune. Mm-hmm. But Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Or the Fresh <laughs> Prince of Bel-Air, for example, yeah. What would you say is the best one? Me? Um, yeah. I'd, I'd like the Sopranos. Yeah. Something sort of nice and simple like that. Yeah, and him just driving around with a cigar on. Look cool. Mm. Mm-hmm. I did like, I tell you what, I didn't like the, the show very much, but uh, American Horror Story, I did like the opening theme to that for the so first I series. Like, I like some of the series of the show. Because obviously it's not, there's what, six series now? And it's not, it's oh, not okay. continuous. Mm-hmm. Like it's all a different setting and a different characters. They're all kind of self-contained, yeah. aren't they, each season? It's, yeah. And some, some seasons are quite good, some haven't been. But, you know, it's, it's, it's not, a bad, not a bad show in some series. So, But, yeah, the intro yeah. is quite good. One that I don't particularly like. Do you guys watch Orange is the New Black? No. Have you seen it? No, not seen that. No. I'm aware of it, obviously, but not seen it. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a great show, but the theme tune to that I'm not particularly fond of, I have to admit. And it's another one as well that seems to go on forever. Mm. I re- like I did as well mentioned in the Game of Thrones one earlier. One minute fifty eight seconds. That is, I timed it. You could skip to one minute fifty eight seconds, and you would be at the start of the show. That is. Wow. It's a long opening theme, isn't it? Yeah, that is long. Actually. The annoying ones are the half hour programs that are actually about twenty five minutes when you take into account ads. And they've got like a mm. three-minute intro. So you get about 20, 20 minutes of program. Mm. Yeah. I'll tell you what's the best intro. That one that James Yule did for that failed critics podcast. That's pretty good. It's the, probably the best I've ever heard. It's the, it's, it is. It's the best mm. podcast introduction, obviously. Need I say more? Yeah. No. Mm. Probably not. Don't, don't <laughs> say <laughs> okay. more. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't say more. Just mm-hmm. keep quiet. And we'll move on to the news, where um, the news is pretty sad this week because it just contains, as last week did, death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Last week's was uh, Anton Yelchin, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Mm, which was pretty tragic. Uh, and we got two more two more this week. Um, one of them, of which was Carolina Hearn, who is... Um, best known for uh, her com- well was a fantastic comic writer and actor um working on her own show Mrs Merton and playing in the in the far show and writing and acting in in the royal family mm-hmm. um as well as being involved both writing and acting in many other things and and latterly vo- voicing the um very popular goggle box Oh yeah, she yeah, did her that, and didn't then she? Craig Cash as well, who obviously she's done a lot of work with. Um, yeah, I forgot about box. that. But yeah, just um, 
She's had a lot of a lot of problems from what I've heard over. Yeah. I mean, she 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 died of cancer, but she's had cancer mm. in her in her past as well, which she she kind of recovered from. Um, but she's very much one of these. Yeah. Um, well, not celebrities because she didn't wasn't kind of a celebrity. But she's one of these famous people who didn't live her life in the public, so no one really knew much about her um, as a person. She's very quiet and reserved. You know, mm. didn't really live her life in the public eye. So it's perhaps more surprising when this was announced, but um, yeah. yeah, she she shied away from that kind of stuff, which is understandable as well. I think she's had a lot of other sort of personal, uh, sort of mental well-being problems as well. Then, but years. that's not what um, we want to dwell on. What we want to dwell on is her, no, her fantastic, she was a great fantastic body of work. Do any of you remember seeing her stand-up work as um, Sister Mary? Years back. I'm I'd, I'd never seen it before, but it's been all over uh, like TV and Twitter and stuff uh, recently, yeah. and it's pretty funny. Oh yeah, she was really good. Uh, I mean, I remember Donkeys Ago, probably early nineties, I think. Um, TV show called Remote Control that was um, oh, what was his name? Anthony, sort of bloke that did the Hacienda Club now up in Manchester. Uh, do you know who I mean? Oh, I know, I know who yeah, you mean. I can't think of his oh. name, but um, he was he was the sort of host and. The, the contestants were were really really annoying most of the time, but um, I mean you had Carolina Hearn doing like Sister Mary and various other bits. You had John Thompson doing um, Can You Beat the Meat? Um, as uh, he'd come come on as um, done up in like a huge lamb chop type uh, suit, and uh, Phil Cornwall was on it. Someone yeah. else I can't remember who else was. There. Was Steve Coogan part of that as well, or was he? No, I don't remember him being in it. He may well have been, but I don't remember. There was a fourth one, and I can't remember who the hell it was. But, uh, no, I mean, she was great on that. Lots and lots yeah. of things she was very, very good in. He's a big fan of us. Yeah, I think she's one of these as well that people don't realise how... Well, you know, lots of people obviously do, do realise it, but I think that it's, it is a little bit of an unknown thing that she basically co-wrote the entire royal family. Yeah, yeah. Lots of people I don't, don't realise yeah, how much of an influence she I had on that show. I don't think people realise perhaps how much of a good comedy writer she was, as well as mm-hmm. being in these shows, being in the fast show and being in the royal family, but don't realise perhaps how much of a, you know, a, a excellent comedy writer she was. Sure, she's very, very talented. I, I mean, she um, must have been. To be get involved with the, the, the group of comedians who put together the fast at his time was just kind of this sketch show juggernaut in in, in British comedy mm-hmm. to be able to work her way into being involved in that when perhaps uh, you know at a time where things weren't as equal so it's harder for perhaps for women to get into these kind of things maybe I don't know yeah yeah I mean I think um uh, what's the uh Kathy Burke she was talking about this on Adam uh, Buxton's podcast not too long ago about how in um, the Harry Enfield sketch yeah, show. Yeah, she was a big part of that, she, wasn't she? Yeah. yeah, she had to kind of almost like force her way in between Paul Whitehouse and Harry Enfield to sort of stay a part of the, the show and have an input on what her characters were doing, yeah. you know? It was kind of like she was acknowledged but wasn't really treated as part of the, the, the show when she had such a large part to play in it, you know, with Perry and um, you know Wayne Etta yeah. slob and stuff like that, but whereas I think 
I, I honestly, I don't really know about Caroline uh, Ahern, what her input was into the fast show. So I don't really think I should comment on it. But she, she certainly had very memorable characters. Well, I've, I've, you know, the checkout yeah, check girl, girl was hilarious. Scorchio yeah. and stuff like that. It's funny that. how you can make some someone just reading out Scorchio funny. Yeah. It just sound, same you, thing every yeah, week. Every, <laughs> so relentlessly funny. every week, the same thing. And it's mm-hmm. and it's still funny. I think what her big talent was, was being able to write dialogue, sort of bog-standard conversation, where nobody says anything overly overly obviously funny, but the whole thing pans out to be extremely funny. Do you know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Like you're saying, with the checkout girl and things like that, just nothing, nothing screamingly funny, but it, the whole thing just worked together so very, very well. If, that if you read it, it wouldn't tone. be funny. If you just exactly, read it that's to, it, yeah. on a paper, it wouldn't have been... That's it, it wouldn't funny. work, yeah. I've, I've read a, about her this week and people saying how she made the mundanity of, like, everyday life funny. Yeah, that's kind of I what think I that's, meant. That, yeah, that's kind of what I meant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a talent to do mm, that, I think. I mean, what do, what do yeah. we all think of the royal family? Were we fans of it, or...? I used to be. Yeah. It, and then it, I kind of went off. Kind of went off it a bit, it did, but... It did get a bit mawkish, didn't it? Yeah. And I wasn't so I mean, she was there's another one that again. could write the, or her and the, the co writer, Craig Cashroy family. One of those comedies where it could also wasn't, you know, the, the non funny bits were good, the, you know, the emotional bits where you're meant to start feeling for the characters mm. and not just laughing yeah. at them or with them were really good. I think th- it kind of, did it sort of, outlive itself a little bit you know it went I, on a I little think, bit too long well, I think it came back I think it was only three series of six episodes but they brought back some specials as well oh yeah um, which is kind of always a sign of a, a sitcom <clears throat> falling on its ass is when they bring bring out some specials a good while after the actual main series is finished yeah often for comic relief or something like that yeah um, but uh, yeah um, yeah I was a big fan of the royal family Mm-hmm. It was so different at the time, wasn't it? Yeah. When it came out, I remember. I mean, I I kind of been what eleven when it came out, something like that. And even at the time, I thought this is so different to the other comedies that you know I watch with my parents, kind of thing. Yeah. It was a sort of family show, I think, um, which was very uh, not heavy on the laughs. You know, there weren't gags, but it was still very funny. Yeah. Which is is again probably a talent. People to just sort of said, "Oh, it feels work. real." Yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. So, Did you ever watch Mrs. Merton and Malcolm? Uh, I've seen the Mrs. Merton show. I've not seen Mrs. Merton and Malcolm, I don't think. Yeah, it's, it's the only... yes. Seen that. Seen Mrs. Merton show. Watched mm-hmm. the whole series of that. That was, I mean, that was just... I mean, it was car crash early at times to watch, wasn't it? But it was <laughs> uh, very cringing yeah. to watch, but God, it was funny. I, w- I was watching some clips on the... Uh, the Guardian have posted a load of Carolina Hearn stuff online. And I was watching um, a clip of her interviewing George Best, just constantly poking at him about his drinking. <laughs> it's like, it is it's so hard to watch, but she's just very funny. It's, uh, it's, just, it's brave, <laughs> if nothing else, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah, that was... Yeah, she was she was great. She was a very good comic actress. So. Definitely. So, um, it's a shame that she's she's gone and we won't get any more characters from her. Yeah. Really. Uh, and mm. the other um, 
person who from the world of television film who passed away this week was um, Michael Cimino, who was the man behind the Deer Hunter. Um, among other mm. films, Deer Hunter is his um, well Academy Award winning, so it's his, it's his best known work. Very divisive film as well. The Deer Hunter. Yeah, can't say I like. I'm getting. I think I think I I've only seen I'm... it once, and it was a long time ago, so I can't really remember too much about it. Yeah, I re- I really really liked it. Um, I I think I watched it for the first time. It must have been three or four years ago, and I just thought it was excellent. I loved everything about it. You know, it's famous for the Russian roulette scene. Yeah. You know, which parodied with the minstrels adverts. I think for a lot of people, the minstrels adverts. Well, no, it's not minstrels, is it? It's yeah. revels. Is probably more yeah. <laughs> where it's. And that's, it's and that's probably what he was hoping for when he made it. There, I like, reckon so. He's so. Thinking, if in twenty odd years' time, thirty years' time, I just want a, a, me, a mediocre <laughs> packet of sweets <laughs> to be parodying my film. Exactly. And I only say and revels are mediocre. Because every time I dip my hand into a bag, I get the ones I don't like. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the that's the joke about Revels, isn't it? You know, you always get the coffee one. Yeah. Nobody wants the coffee yeah. one. Orange one's fine. I think I think the oranges are, are pretty good, but not too many. They're a bit sickly, but uh, enough about them, I suppose. Michael Cimino. He also did a few films with uh, Clint Eastwood. He did uh, one of the. Sequels to Dirty Harry, I think he did. Mag- Magnum Force. Um, did Thunderbolt and Lightfoot with Eastwood and Jeff Bridges. Did uh, Silent Running a few years before he did The Deer Hunter, um, which is a great little sci-fi Silent film. Running. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he was a very celebrated actor. Again, I think he was perhaps a, a bit younger than most people thought he was as well. Um because, you know, I guess a lot of people thought by now he would probably be already dead, but he was 77. Oh, yeah. you know? He made The Deer Hunter in 78, and he was he seemed old then, but, you know, 77. So. I always think The Deer Hunter's older than that for some reason. I always think it's the film itself, I mean, nothing to do with him or his mm. age or anything. For some reason, I always think it's sort of late 60s type thing, and it just, we won't stay mad. I've seen it, I saw it a long, long time ago <laughs> since I've seen it, and it didn't do anything for me really, but you can see how it is. I say it's going to be one of those marmitey type things, isn't there? I think. Yeah, I think as well. It's because it's it's almost like two different films, isn't it? You've got the very long wedding stuff at the beginning, mm. you know, and that tends to put people off who've maybe gone to watch a Vietnam War film, which it isn't really. I mean, a lot. Of- a lot of it is set during the Vietnam War, of course, you know, particularly stuff in the second half of the film, but or maybe the middle third of the film. Um, but it's it's not really a war film as such. It's it's about the people from this small little town, and uh, I guess you either get into the characters or you don't. But uh, you know, you saw some of the best filmmakers ever are very divisive in their in their filmmaking. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, let's face it, it'd be, it'd be pretty boring if everybody liked the same thing, wouldn't it, really? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I can I just add to the um, general tone of levity of all these um, obituaries we're going through. 
Uh, it's a uh, uh-huh. director, writer, director died today. Actually, this evening he's come through the news. Uh, Iranian fellow, um, Abbas. I can't pronounce his name. Kira Stami, something like that. Um, I've seen a couple. I've seen two of his films. One I really liked, and one I really didn't get at all. Sort of thing. Um, he did Life and Nothing More. I saw, saw of that, which is, it's just confusing kind of film where he's. <laughs> There's been a huge earthquake, and the, the story is there's been an enormous earthquake, and they're off trying to find their families and things like that. But the whole film sort of gets lost in itself and ends with this huge long shot of him driving up this quarry thing that's, that's is a bit bizarre. A very strange film that I couldn't really get into. But a film he did that was really, really good that I'd recommend to anyone dig out Taste of Cherry. Um, it is most certainly not a comedy. It's uh, it's basically about a fellow who's decided he's had enough and wants to uh, wants to commit suicide, um, and he's picked out where he's going to do it, how he's going to do it. The one thing is he's obsessed with making sure that he is buried properly, and he can't find anyone to bury him. Uh, and he goes around asking, trying to you know solicit help for uh, mm-hmm. to get someone to bury him uh, up in the in the mountains. Uh, it doesn't sound very interesting or very pleasant, but I'd recommend it. It's a very good film called Taste of Cherry. But came out oh, late nineties ish, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's um, but uh, another sad passing from. I mean, he had a hell of a lot, a lot of things on his list of um, of work. But uh, those those mm. those are two. One to one to watch, one to avoid, and I can't say anything about the others because I haven't seen them. <laughs> <laughs> We can just squeeze in one little bit of news. Normally, I wouldn't wouldn't care or wouldn't mention it, but as we're doing a film vaguely TV themed, uh, a, a film, a podcast vaguely TV themed, uh, we've had news that Chris Evans is not coming back for Top Gear. Right. Yeah. Do you guys watch Top Gear? Uh, I've not in the last few years. Um, other, other, than, other than the specials, uh, I'm not a massive car person anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to watch it every week and then kind of went off it, but did watch the specials because they were usually as scripted as they might well have been, a bit of fun. Um, but, yeah, I haven't really watched a proper series in the last few years, including the new one. But I've heard that, that Chris Evans was unbearable, but, but Matt LeBlanc was actually quite good. Yeah, that's that's true. Uh, I went off the Top Gear, the, um, the Clarkson version. I went off that a few years back. I'll tell you exactly when it was, when they did that India special. Uh, the two, you know, the big long, I think it was probably a Christmas special. Yeah. I just found it utterly unbearable. <laughs> mm. um, I've been a fan of it up till then. Uh, and I will I will watch anything James May makes, documentary-wise. Um, but this new series, uh, it, it is Evans is the problem. Uh, Matt LeBlanc's yeah. really good. What it is, because there's so much shouting involved because of the loud audience, part, partly it's Evans' ego, and partly it's that his voice is like, somewhat higher than Clarkson. Mm-hmm. And when he's constantly shouting in that higher voice and with his ego on the go, it's just all too much. LeBlanc's been excellent. The two fellas that I didn't know about previously are Rory Reed and is it Chris Harris, I think. No idea. Uh, they're both, all three of them, very, very good. That's Sabine Schmitz, the German racing driver. Mm-hmm. She's brilliant. 
both as a driver and extremely good as a presenter as well. She gets away with that brilliantly. Uh, get rid of Evans. Cut the celebrity thing down because that was just pain in the ass. That was like, well, it used to be a quick interlude where they'd wander on, puff whatever film they were puffing, drive a lap, clear off. Mm-hmm. That's been spun out to just over 20 minutes. It's about a third of the run time. <laughs> Really? Uh, wow. just... Well, you, it used to be. I think actually, I did watch the first one of the Evans series, right. and and star in a reasonably priced car just used to be get them on. Um, what you what you plug in? What's your car history? Here's your lap. Here's your time. Well done. Yeah. And that, <laughs> now it was like comparing each celebrity's first three cars and whose was best, as well as the plug, as well as watching more than one celebrity do their lap. It's just uh-huh. a bit. Uh, they just um, went on too long, didn't it? Twenty the, minutes. Yeah. yeah. The funny thing I read that about Matt LeBlanc was that he's not really done a huge deal of acting since since Friends finished. What? Because I know he was in um, episodes. episodes, but he's not he's not yeah. done huge amounts and, and it doesn't seem to go into direct. So what what I read that he said was because some people were like, why is he doing this British car show? And he just he loves cars by all accounts, and he just kind of said. I made so much money doing Friends, I can just do what I want now. Mm-hmm. Like he must probably at the, at the height of Friends, he was on like a million dollars an episode. I think yeah, that's what they were reported or, or, as doing, wasn't if it? If not yeah. more, and and mm. if and if you invest that and save that wisely, you probably can. Going back, going back to sitcoms, whereas when you know, reading about Caroline Hearn and the, the royal family, a lot of British sitcoms will be a series run of six episodes. Eight episodes. You look at Peep Show, The Office, uh, Royal Family, whatever. It's about six episodes, maybe eight. American sitcoms are like twenty episodes a season. Yeah. So if he's, you know, if he's on twenty million dollars a season, he's laughing. He can do what he wants. But that's what I read anyway. He can. He kind of because he made so much money doing that. He he's now in a situation where he can just pick and choose whatever projects he wants to do. He doesn't have to work to earn money now or whatever he can just do what he wants no more lost in space he can choose no, whatever no, films he wants to do <laughs> Joey's not coming back for another series yeah I mean I never got round to, to watching it too much but uh, one of my brothers was a big fan of that episode he said, and he said LeBlanc was really good in that it's, me- it's meant to be very good yeah, yeah I, would, I liked the first season a lot. The first season was a season, it was series really, wasn't it? But it was, yeah, the first, the first bunch of episodes was, uh, was really good. Yeah. It was really, I missed it when it came in the second time. I never got back into catching up on it, but it was a surprise. But, you know, he's obviously there because he's American and the fact that Top Gear is just like the biggest, most popular exported show from, from Britain. And he's got universal appeal, yeah. hasn't he? Yeah. Whereas Chris Evans is obviously everyone in Britain knows. He's got a bit is, of charm about him, hasn't he, Matt LeBlanc? Yeah, sure. He can't get away with it. And he, when they've shown bits with him talking to general members of the public out and about, sort of thing, he's he's good at that sort of thing. Yeah, because I think he's, I think it is. He is in don't give a toss mode now, sort of yeah. thing. And yeah. um, and it works for him, you know. I rec- I still think they should have gone with uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. <laughs> Yeah. Is the presenters for Top Gear? Yeah, that could have been uh, a bit more fun. Time now for what we've been watching when we take a look at films we've seen in the last seven days or so. 
aren't essentially new releases, and I don't think this week we have got any new releases to to review. Uh, oh, none for a change. No. Um, no one wants to go and watch Central Intelligence. <laughs> Surprise. Mm. Or the Ab Fab movie. Yeah, I think that might have been the reason why we're doing a triple bill we are. Um, mm-hmm. And it was probably the intention of for somebody to go and have seen the Ab Fab movie. Um, <laughs> but no one did. Are any of us fans of the Ab Fab show? Not, I can't say I am. I'm not. It's weird. Like um, when I was on a couple of weeks ago, and um, Paul uh, was doing was saying about the boss uh, mm-hmm. to sort of paraphrase him, paraphrase him, and clean it up a bit. I kind of, I kind of like everyone that's in it. But I don't like it. Yeah, I don't uh, think it's any, I don't think it's targeted at me. No, this is true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, but yeah, I know what you mean. The people in the show I like, yeah. but not yeah. in that show. Exactly. Yeah. But um, I can't say I find Joanna Lumley funny in anything. I don't. I've never no, liked her. I mean, she's really. not really a comedy actress, is she? No. I, I'd say, but she doesn't I'll, seem funny. So it's uh, it's just an odd. Anyway, yeah, yeah. but no, I mean, people like I mean June Whitfield for all she sort of gets mm, mm. Terry and June. But, I mean, the woman goes back her career in comedy, going back to the nineteen forties, you know, on the radio and that. Uh, mm. I mean, she's a bit of a legend, isn't she? And uh, Julius, is it Julia or the Sawala that's in that, or is it this? I, I get the names mixed around of the sisters. One's Julia, one's Nadia, isn't it? Oh yeah, uh, I think it's Julia and Abfab. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, as as much as it was, wasn't a great program, um, Al Murray's Pub Landlord series was Time Gentlemen, please. Yeah, she was <laughs> in a series of that. That it was on at a convenient time when I was looking for something to kill half an hour, and she <laughs> was she was good in that um, mm-hmm. as much as anything was good in it, you know. But yeah, uh, yeah. she was good in that. But I just couldn't take Abfab at all, I'm afraid. No, no it, it, it was a real struggle for me to... I was planning to go and see the film today. That was my plan. I looked at the, the times it was on. It was on at 2 o'clock. I thought, fine, I'll be able to get to that. And, you know, the, the, it just gets closer and closer to the time. Andrew Brooker's written a scathing review of it <laughs> on our website. Yeah. Absolutely I had, a squiz- I had a quick squeeze at that, yeah. But, I mean, the, the, yeah. the question to ask, though, Brooker, is, is he a fan of the series? I think it shouldn't matter. I think you, if you're a fan of good comedy, then but it may the be, film perhaps, is based perhaps, on perhaps the show or not. Kind of com- his kind of comedy. It's a bit like when Callum um, scathingly attacked the Entourage movie. Now, see, as, a fa- as me as a fan of Entourage, the yeah. TV show, I didn't like the movie because I didn't think it was as good as the TV show. I didn't think the plot was very good. He just hated the whole thing. It wasn't his thing. He didn't like. I think he, didn't like he didn't like the ethics of the <laughs> ethics of the characters or whatever. But it wasn't yeah. it wasn't his thing. So it's the same thing for Brooker. Abfab being a good, a good comedy, the TV show, but him not liking, like we've just said, the TV show. Then maybe he wouldn't get the film. But I've not read his review yet, so I don't really want to have a dig at him. Uh, yeah, I don't want to put words in his mouth, really. But you know, he, he's defended his opinion pretty spectacularly through the through the review. Um, I. Don't, I <laughs> I just think sometimes you can see a film, particularly so with comedies, where they are objectively unfunny. Mm. Where there's just... I know humour is very subjective 
and I get exactly what you're saying about sometimes it's just not your type of humour, but you can kind of object to a film on some fundamental principles. I mean, you mentioned Callum and Entourage. He didn't so much have a problem with that film because he didn't think it was his cup of tea. You know, he had... There were, there were absolute basic principles of that film that he disagreed with on a sort of ethical, moral ground. ground. And, you know, that's... That's different, I think, to seeing, like... Well, we'll come on to talk about some of the bad TV movies later. But, you know, I'm thinking something like The Simpsons, which a lot of people seem to love. The Simpsons movie, I mean, you know, a lot of people seem to love, but I thought it was pretty turgid. And I get that subjective, but then there are different reasons for why you would find something not funny, you know? Mm. But, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe it was just a, it wasn't Brooker's Cup of Tea. But whatever it was, I read that review and I was like, you know, what? I just can't be bothered. I can't force myself to spend 90 minutes watching something that I am most likely not going to enjoy. Ghostbusters yeah. next week. <laughs> See, that, that I, I'm joking. I'm actually quietly optimistic about this Ghostbusters. So I don't know why. There's a little bit of me thinks... It's, it's not going to be. It's not going to touch the original. Let's be honest. But there's a little bit of me that thinks I'm going to sit through that and I'm going to enjoy that. Whether I enjoy that in the same way as I in, enjoyed Independence Day Resurgence, or if, <laughs> if I enjoy the, if this Ghostbusters film in a good way, I don't know. I just think I'm going to be able to sit through it and enjoy it. It seems like it'll be quite long and pretty one note, which is what I'm worried about. But I'm going in, you know, as much of an open mind as one can after seeing trailers that you're not so fond of for anything, well, really. Um, yeah, didn't Andrew Booker, didn't he put, uh, say something about he saw a, there was a, a slightly more promising trailer when he went to see something, I don't know. Well, oh, yeah, yeah, I mean... Say that trailer looked more promising than the others, which... Let's face it, um, it wouldn't be overly difficult, would it? It's been pretty dreadful up to now, in my opinion. But Yeah, the trailer's just... Uh, it's really annoying, isn't it, when you're trying to sell a comedy to someone because you either get a trailer that has all the best bits in it and then when you go and see the film, you're like, well, what was the... What they've put all the best jokes in the trailer, that's really annoying. Or you try and sell a comedy on some of the weaker jokes and you're like, well, it's not very funny. So it's a very difficult business... I think they should just do it the way they used to sell films and just give you a scene from the film, you know? Yeah. There you go. Watch this, like, 90-second-long clip from the film and decide if that's what you want to watch or not. Rather than putting all the gags into a two-minute-long showreel. Anyway, shall we talk about anyway. some films? <laughs> yeah, yeah Films that we've watched yeah. and not films that we haven't watched. Should we stop critiquing films that we've not bothered to watch? Yeah. Should we yeah. critique yeah. some films that we have bothered to watch? That sounds like okay, a plan. Okay, and why don't you start us off? Oh, right, okay. Um, well, actually, I kind of wanted to just throw this one into the ring and then point to Liam, because I, uh, we recently had a discussion about um, films that scared us, because we've got an upcoming triple bill, I think, in a couple of months, maybe September time, where we're doing, um, in honour of Fright Fest, we'll be doing films that have frightened us the most. So not necessarily horror films um it could just be anything that you saw at the in uh, an inappropriate age that scared you and also because i mentioned hellraiser on last week's episode um liam you tweeted about the innocence to me and brooker yeah which is a 1961 
uh, yeah, you can call it a horror film. It is meant to be horrifying, I think, uh, which is based on Turn of the Screw. So it's the haunted house story, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, uh, I can see exactly why you found it so scary, because it's definitely oozing with atmosphere, that movie. Um, from the opening scenes, which just has Deborah Kerr crying, you know, it's just a, a sort of quiet sobbing with a black background and then the credits roll over the top of it. It's like, yeah, they've set the tone very early for a film that's from 1961, remember? I mean, this is, you know, this isn't a time when films like this were prolific. Um, you know, horror films back then. I mean, particularly 1961 was just after stuff like Psycho and Peeping Tom and, you know, those kind of movies. So it was, it was pretty... Um, different for its time and I liked it a lot I kept comparing it in my mind to other films that I've seen and I think the reason for that is because it's based on The Turn of the Screw oh, yeah. which, which has been so like it's just the, the most basic blueprint for any big old haunted house in England story isn't it you know yeah yeah and uh, may, maybe for that reason, it, it, it didn't quite scare me. Yeah. Even, you know, I can appreciate the scares in it. I can see why it's, it's scared. From, I kept thinking in my mind, though, you know, I, I preferred The Haunting from a couple of years later. Yeah. I, I really liked the, the original version of The Haunting. And I think they're both different types of the same story. Um. But why don't you tell us now, then, what was it that sort of scared you about The Innocence? I don't know. It's um, it's one of those, I saw it, first saw it a hell of a long time ago. Maybe it's that that sort of stuck with me, you know, um, having mm-hmm. seen it when I was fairly young, I think. It must have been. Um, and it's, I think it's, I don't know what it is, to be honest. I mean, I, I the bit where, um, where he, he appears sort of at those... Um, French doors, French window sort of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know that. I know exactly when that is coming. I know what's going to happen, and yet every time I sort of give a jump to it, you know. And um, yeah. I mean, I'm no stranger to to horror films at all. Far from it. I mean, I used to be obsessed with them in my late teens. I used to watch that, watch them a lot, and um, especially sort of the, should we say, the not the best ones either, sort of thing as well, you know. <laughs> but. Um, uh-huh. But no, that one has always stuck with me as being... I think it is atmospheric, and it's also sort of the contrast because it is so, shall we say, of its time in terms of mm-hmm. um, the, the poshness of the, and the speech patterns and things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's otherworldly. It is, it? yeah. It is completely otherworldly. And there's some scenes in that film that are just... I don't know. There's something about that film that just really gets me. I think I can see how... It could quite possibly bore the arse off of anyone who, uh, who didn't sort of appreciate it. I fully understand that. It is one of those, I think. Um, no, I mean, I really do like that. I watch it every, I don't know, every couple of years or so. I might bung it on sort of thing, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I, whenever I do, I do still jump every time that like, that face <laughs> appears in the uh, behind the yeah. behind the kid's head sort of thing, you know? Uh, the the bit I really liked was um the the woman in the reeds when she just looks across oh, and the woman. Oh yeah, yeah, that's like, right. oh. yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, I that's think it big... is a 
there's nothing direct horror about it, really, is there? Like you say, there's nothing. Yeah. Overt, yeah. But it's just. It's, it's creepy. It's, it is creepy in the way. I don't know. You wouldn't call it Hitchcockian sort of thing, but it's mm. it's definitely a lot more psychological than it is anything up front. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because the 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 underlying principle here is that it's a woman going yeah, mad. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you're you're watching it as if, okay, there's a house that's haunted and there's two creepy kids and you don't really know what they're up to and. You know, there's the nervous housemaid house yeah, yeah, kind of feeding these stories yeah. to her. But at the same time, you're watching it thinking, you know, underneath the surface to this is it's a woman going crazy. Yeah. It's a, you know, it's a lonely woman who it's hinted at very early on that she's not got children yeah. and you don't quite know. I mean, is that because she can't? Is it because she had a husband? It's because she, you know, she's never found a husband and is this the problem for her? And so the shock of suddenly having the kids, is this what's driving her? There's lots of these little um, subtexts that you can read into. But I think on the on, if you do just take it at face value as, you know, how it's presented and not try to look for stories about, um, you know, insanity and maybe some kind of uh, mental breakdown or anything like that, it is just a sort of chilling horror film yeah um so it can be taken both ways and either way i, th- I think it's a very well made well written definitely well prefer- performed film I thought deborah kerr in it was fantastic yeah. um i think the- but yeah it did make me long to watch the haunting yeah. again i think the opening so, is one of the most effective openings to her i mean with just purely the black screen and then it mm-hmm. the sound slowly coming in and then even the, the 20th century fox sort of appears with no sound that doesn't have its usual fanfare type thing you know comes in and out sort of thing you know um, and then yeah. through to her and you just see her hands first sort of looking like they're in prayer sort of thing you know uh, certainly yeah one of the most effective starts to a, a psychological type film that, that i can think of mm. i did think without giving it away because i don't i mean if people uh. want to watch it and I'd really suggest they do if they like good classic horror films. Is The Innocence is very good. And thank you for the recommendation, by the way. Um, <laughs> but I, I just sort, sort of thought the ending was slightly abrupt, yeah. but in in an intentional kind of way. I mean, it just it, it ends very suddenly, but that also feels like it's meant to be the sh- a shock to you as well. Well, the way yeah. that it just suddenly got, closes and you're like, you left... It's sort of going, what What was yeah, that? Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Mm. It doesn't tie everything up in a neat package for you, sort of thing. Exactly, yeah. It's yeah. good. Okay, uh, the film I've seen this week was Lone Survivor um, from a few years ago, starring uh, Mark Wahlberg and Eric Banner, among others, and about, uh, based on a true story, how much... Um, Kind of depend. Well, I think this one is um, probably one of the more accurate depictions of actually what happened, and perhaps some other films are. Uh, but it, it was Lone Survivor, um, based on Operation Red Wings, um, and a U.S. Navy SEAL team who, uh, um, as the Wikipedia page says, um, kind of going after. Uh, a Taliban leader who had ordered the killing of 20 US Marines um, but the mission doesn't go according to plan and it goes pretty wrong 
obviously with there being a lone survivor as the the title suggests um I, does give it away doesn't it it's a bit of a spoiler yeah, that title you, you are you are pretty certain from the outset <laughs> that out of this group of four navy seals you're introduced to one of them will survive <laughs> on his own mm. um yeah. but that doesn't detract from the film too much because it is actually quite a good film um it's quite interesting to to see how the lone survivor survives. Um, <laughs> it really does give it away, isn't it? You know what's going to happen yeah. by the end of the film. If you went into this film blind, like not having known it's based on a true story or not knowing what the true story is and what happens in true story, um, you, you can pretty much have a stab at it from um, the title. But yeah, but it, regardless of that, it does it does play out quite well mark Wahlberg's pretty good in it um he's sometimes i never quite know how to take him um he, he's good sometimes sometimes terrible and this is good um they kind of see again there is a lone survivor but if i mention too much about the film it will give away more for people who haven't seen it and it is quite a newish film um but towards the end of the film how he kind of interacts with um Afghani people and, and that side of it is, is quite good. Um, how he goes about surviving, how he tries to keep, or the team try to keep themselves alive. Um, you know, it, it is quite good. They're very much behind enemy lines with not much contact with with their higher-ups or the people who might be able to help them. Um, it's one of the better kind of Afghan-Iraq kind of war films I've seen. Like, it's not it's not as good as the, the ones that are at the pinnacle like Hurt Locker and um Zero Dark Thirty, but it is it is good. It is worth a watch. Um it's I I didn't didn't like the look of it too much from the trailers when it was out and then it wasn't it wasn't actually showed near me and I've never sorted out since Yeah, it's on it's um, on Netflix. Um yeah. and it's 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 two hours long, so it's not the kind of yeah, it's not some ridiculously long slog. Yeah. Um but I could see why people wouldn't like it. But mm-hmm. I should have I should have watched that instead of the other Mark Wahlberg film I watched this week. Wasn't then. that one about the wind, was it? The happening? No, I've seen that before. I like the happening. The happening no, is so not. so ridiculous. It's so funny. Um no, I watched or should I say I rewatched, and I don't know why I rewatched it. Uh, Transformers 4, Age of Ultron, which is nearly three hours long. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. <laughs> Twice I've seen that film. I, I mean, it, it's it's better than the others by an absolute... You know, Actually, with, with the Transformers well, films, I, I, I like the first one. Uh, the, the, okay, the first one... Okay, on this this scale, you've got to imagine this is how I'm ranking all the films compared to each and not, other, and not including the animated one. Oh, I did watch the animated. See, yeah, I watched meant, this one again be, because that's I watched meant the animated one. The animated one. It kind of is. It's quirky. It's it's different. It's funny. It's got um, Orson Welles in it, hasn't it? It's got Orson Welles in it and Leonard Nimoy in it. It's the. I mean, it's the the original Transformers animated film is. There's a lot to like about that. Um... So I watched that one last week, I think, and then this week I watched Transformers: Age of Extinction because it was on on Netflix. I think if the first Transformers is in the first Michael Bay one. It's about a three out of ten. I say it's about a three. Revenge of the Fallen 
is like a minus 250 out of 10. It's just one... I mean, not even exaggerating when I say this, but I think it is one of the worst films ever made in terms of how much money is spent on it, how utterly fucking abhorrent the characters are and the fact there's no story. It just... uh, It's it's terrible. It's one of the worst films ever made. I'd say the third film is about a 2 out of 10. Age of... Age of Extinction's about four out of ten, so it's better than the others. But you know, it's they're not. It's not a huge. Um, I mean, you think of the money that's been wasted on these movies. Think of the money they spent putting together three-hour-long Transformers films. What you could have done with that? You know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds per. Anyway, anyway, I'll, I'll stop because <laughs> you know it's not. Afghan films, Afghan film, Afghan war type films. Um, either have you seen A War, the uh, Scandinavian one, which was up for an Oscar? I didn't get it, but it was up for an Oscar last year. That's Was it? Yeah. What, as a foreign film? Or yeah, yeah. Film? yeah. Okay, right. Um, a War, it's by the same director as A Hijacking, and that's excellent too. Oh, right, okay. Um, and it follows pretty much the same plot. It's There's very little actual, what you would call action. In it, mm-hmm. but what there is, um, they come under fire, they return fire, um, and it gets a bit controversial. And the their commanding officer gets court martialed for it. Um, it's an excellent film. If you can find it, watch it. Goes for a hijacking too, because both, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. definitely worth watching. Okay, so uh, and Liam, finally, then for what you've been watching, what have you seen this week? Uh, this week, I've seen um, Spellbound, uh, two thousand and two. Documentary by Jeffrey Blitz about um, the American spelling bee competitions. Uh, I was aware of this ages ago, and uh, I, I remember. I think it's been on telly at some point. Uh, I might have half seen a bit of it because as I was watching it the other day, um, bits came back to me. It's a fascinating documentary. You see these eight children it follows eight children from across the states from a whole wide range of sort of economic um, and cultural backgrounds, all completely different. Um, I mean, you've got the sort of really sort of quite poverty-struck people, as well as some that are really quite moneyed. And the the difference between them, you can see, and it's interesting to see uh, how many of these these kids just have their life ruled, that their entire life is spent with their nose in a book. They've, they've seem to have very little actual life outside and it's not something I'm ever very keen on because I mean certainly two of the children in this they seem to have some sort of um some they've had some sort of mental reaction to this in that they're very twitchy about things and that and it's you don't want to st- none of the parents come across overly monstrous out of it but um, it's, I mean, I found it a thoroughly interesting documentary to watch. Uh, it follows them to their regionals, uh, regional finals. And then once they've done that and they've qualified, they go off to the national ones in Washington. Uh, I mean, this is the final, the last day of the final of these kids when there's about 50 or 60 of them left in. I mean, these are broadcast live on ESPN. Um, mm. Which to me just it's a bit bizarre, really, isn't it? 
Um, mm-hmm. Kids just taking it in turn to wander up to a microphone and and spell spell a word out, you know. Which, um, but uh, it's no. I tell you what, when it, while I was watching it, what it really, really reminded me of a hell of a lot. And once it once it clicked in my brain, I sort of had trouble taking it a little bit. I had trouble taking it too seriously after that. Was it's really like best in show. just how they cut to the parents sitting there nervously like really awkwardly sitting there talking to the camera sort of thing and then cuts across to this kid and it is just like uh best in show you know with with the parents especially with the um oh the the sort of redneck guy that's got his bloodhound in that if you oh yeah yeah and then the um the sort of uh, yuppie type couple who ended up putting their dog into therapy because it walked in on them having sex and they thought it had damaged it psychologically sort of thing. Um, it's got that real vibe to it. It just looks exactly like that. And once um, once I'd uh, clocked that and it clicked in my brain, I had a bit of trouble taking it too seriously right. after that. But um, no, it's, uh, it's a perfectly good documentary. It, it did end up feeling for one or two of the kids. Some of them were certainly more than okay and were just... Oh, glad that's over. I ain't got to bother with this anymore, and get on with their lives. Some of the others you thought were sort of heading for. Actually, I tell you what, I tried to look up what happened to them afterwards because this is from two thousand and two, and I sort of googled to try and have a look. And actually, one of the websites uh, billed it as uh, rich or re- rich or rehab. Because <laughs> you just do get that, right. um, you do get that feeling off of it, you know. Um, which obviously somebody else did to call their article that, you know, which way has it gone for them? Because you could see out of them, they were pressured. I mean, there's one little girl, and it's the girl from probably the most economically challenged background, but she is fabulously well supported and loved by her mum. She's not wanting for anything like that, but she puts enormous pressure on herself to try and lift herself and the family out of, out of poverty and she's she's given this one word to spell and you just see the blood drain from her face and it just i just like i couldn't put a kid of mine through that you know the look on her face and the eyes her eyes just go and then you can see and i don't know i've ever seen anyone's nostrils flare to that extent where it was just Poor little thing just had the virtual panic attacks up sort of thing, you know? And mm-hmm. just say it's it's borderline child abuse, man, you know? Uh yeah, yeah. It it always looks like that. I can't believe how big it is and how much pressure it must put on these little yeah. kids, you know? Yeah. yeah, um so yeah, that's what I've seen. I mean it was definitely worth a watch and maybe I'm reading too much into it or something, but it just I mean this so the best in show thing didn't help me. And then um, with this little girl, I don't know, if I say little girl, she's probably 12, 13, maybe, something like that. But, I mean, you don't want to see a kid, that happen to a kid like that, you know, for something that's, I mean, supposedly you'd think it should be like a, just a little talent competition sort of thing, you know, rather than it, put it live on ESPN and things like that. The pressure their kids are on is just horrific.
Time now for Triple Bill this week, as we mentioned a couple of times already. It is our three favourite movies based on TV shows or TV characters. Uh, we'll do this in round robin style as we have done for Triple Bill for some time now. And I want you to start us off. Okay, so I'll um, explain a little bit about what, what it is exactly that we're, we're doing. Because, you know, although they're very... You know, often very different forms of media, uh, film and TV. They do sometimes come together in uh, matrimony, if you like. You know, sometimes. You know, as we mentioned, I never liked the TV show. And judging from Booker's review on the website, it did well to skip Absolutely Fabulous, the movie, uh, which came out on Friday. But uh, hence the timing of this triple bill, I should say. Plus, you know, David Brent, Life on the Road comes out in a month's time, I think, from this recording, about a month, a month and a, a, month and a half, um, which is obviously an ad- adaptation of his character, of Ricky Gervais's character, David Brent. Uh, and by the way, did either of you see the vi- music video for Lady Gypsy? Yes. Which came out a, a couple of days ago, I think the first of this month. Yeah. And I'm not, actually, I shouldn't even ask you, Liam, should I, about anything Ricky Gervais related? Uh, not unless you've got a very powerful bleak machine. <laughs> yeah okay uh, i kind of thought lady gypsy was <laughs> it was it was quite funny yeah you know? it was all right wasn't it he's, um, he's done well with bringing brent back for comic relief and those those little bits there the the music video of equality street and all that but um whether yeah. it will uh translate, translate to, to a, a, what will probably be an hour and a half movie i don't know yeah could be wrong we'll see mm, maybe probably not um, you know, and also, yeah, of course, we also recently recorded a film commentary for Beavis and Butthead Do America, which was, you know, a transition to the uh, to the silver screen for Mike Judge's comedic duo. Yeah. And uh, even Star Trek Beyond is due out soon. You know, and how many Star Trek films have there been? Twelve, I think. Eleven, twelve. And, you know, they're they're pretty prolific. Um, and only less than half of them are decent to good. So it's not always a hundred percent hit rate uh but anyway i'll leave room for you guys to talk about some films too before i sort of mention all of them um we'll also like i said in the last segment we'll get around to talking about some of the bad films that didn't make any of our lists either i'm sure so uh my picks i wanted to make sure that the stuff that i did choose i'd also watched the main tv series of as well because there are a few films i've seen that are adapted from tv shows and haven't always seen the the actual show um you know, Naked Gun, for example, never actually watched Police Squad. Um, Should have done. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I gather. Um, but, you know, if I was, if so I was left tra- doing that, I'd be nominating the Porridge movie. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's, um. well, yeah, I mean, I didn't want to watch... I, I mean, I also picked stuff that I've watched a TV series of. I mean, what I've watched of it, I have liked, is what I mean, really. So, uh, without further ado, my first choice is 2013's The Alan Partridge Movie, Alpha Papa. I knew knew you were going to pick that, so I didn't pick that. Yeah, I mean, obviously I was going to choose Alpha Papa. Um, I mean, for people who don't know for some reason, have never actually heard of it, seen it, whatever, it's a comedy about a siege that takes place at the local radio station where Steve Coogan's uh, greatest creation, I'm going to call him, Alan Partridge, uh, where he works. Uh, it was written by Peter Bainham, Amanda Iannucci, Neil and Rob Gibbons, 
um, were all part of the the writing crew for the TV series as well, as well as uh, Coogan himself. And it it was, I mean, we were talking about the Deer Hunter. Obviously, this isn't comparable in the same way, but it was also quite divisive when it came out because if I remember correctly, uh, I read a lot of reviews from people who just simply hated Alpha Papa, and I think partly. That seemed to be because the partridge of now is not the same uh, arrogant, spiteful, overly sensitive bully that he used to be in the sitcom I'm Alan Partridge, you know, which was last released like a decade before the movie came out. Um, And I don't disagree. You know, in fact, I, I completely agree that Alan has grown and changed over the years from the self important sports reporter to the egotistical radio and TV chat show host, you know, through to the kind of vulnerable, good-natured, but still desperately seeking attention and emotionally stunted, uh, or the kind of contented guy that he was in Alpha Papa. You know, fair enough, if the particular aspect that you liked about Alan Partridge as a one-note character, whichever particular version you preferred, is now no longer so prominent, then, you know, that's a shame for you, but... Not only did Alpha Papa have constant big belly laughs for me, to the point that I had tears like streaming down my face both times that I saw it in the cinema, uh, but it, it had grown the character. You know, it's just like it's. A, I think it's kind of as close to a work of genius that has you can you can do with a sitcom character. I think you know the fictional autobiography. I Partridge. We need we need to talk about Alan which was written mainly by the Gibbons brothers. Uh, Between that book, the TV series, all of them, uh, and the web series Mid-Morning Matters, and of course Alpha Papa, you know, those two have kind of helped revitalise the character, uh, keeping the familiar tone of Partridge whilst developing him into more than he had been previously. You know, it's remarkable remarkable and, and was a very first film I thought of when putting together a shortlist for this podcast uh, and I don't think I could pick a better film to start off my triple bill with because it's it's one of my favourite comedies, I absolutely love it, I love the way the character's grown I love the way he changed through the course of the TV shows, through the book, through to the film um, yeah, I mean have you guys, I know you've seen it uh, Steve um, have we ever talked about Coogan and Partridge, Liam? Have uh, we ever had that conversation? No um, and what what is your opinion? Don't like him um, at all. No, no. But the thing is, I, I avoided it for ages because I did not like the series. It's, do you know what it is? It's Armando Iannucci. I just don't get on with his stuff. Oh really? Yeah, I just can't take to it. Um, I can't tell you exactly what it is, but it. I always find it sort of like he's trying to be clever, trying to prove how clever he is. But it's just there's always a like a sneer in his work. Okay. Um, I just don't take to. I appreciate I am in the vast minority, which is <laughs> kind of par for the course for me. But it was, um, <laughs> but with him, but there again, I did. I avoided that Alpha Papa thing for ages. But my, bro- my brother is a huge fan of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was on telly, wasn't it, over Christmas or what? It was, sort of yeah. And yeah. out of just boredom one night, I had nothing else to look at. I watched it off of iPlayer. And to be honest, I didn't hate it anywhere near as much as I hated a lot of the TV series. Mm. Um, I did see some of the TV series. 
And I, I could see some bits, but it and some bits did, did genuinely make me laugh. I won't say it, but pretend that I, I was just completely blank all the way through. But there was more, a lot more sort of bits I hated than bits I, I liked. But um, mm-hmm. the film, I did. I, I mean, I found I preferred it to what, what I remember of the TV series sort of thing, you know? Yeah, well, I think that's understandable because he is a lot more likeable nowadays, Alan Partridge. It, like I said, he's not this this uh, sarcastic, spiteful bloke anymore. He's mellowed somewhat, and I think they tried to bring that into the, the film. Um, but, you, you know, you, you, I can understand that. My wife hated Alan Partridge um, until I dragged her along to watch the movie with me. Um, and she was howling with laughter through it. I think it's a, it's the most accessible version of the character, anyway. Um, but it's uh, you know, Cole Meany's in it, isn't he? And, uh, he is, yeah. He's very good yeah. in it, yeah. Yeah, he he is good actually. I think that that's the weird thing about the film. He comes into, a, you know, he's not part of the TV show at all. Pat Farrell, oh. um, just that Pat. It's a slogan they use, but he's, you know, he's not in the TV show at all. So he's a brand new character for this. And he comes through it like a juggernaut because Colmini is a very good actor, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I really, I really like Half the Papa. I, I saw it twice in the cinema. I've lost count of how many times I've seen it since then. Uh, it just, uh, tears of laughter streamed in my face when I watch it. It's just a, a re- very, very funny film. And a good example of what we're trying to do, I guess, of how, how to properly adapt a TV show into a film or a TV character, at least. Yeah. Because they don't just create a longer version of a TV episode. They've done something with it. Yeah. Um, my first pick, and I think I've gone with, well, I don't think, I know I've gone with three comedies. Um, and I don't know why it seems to me when I'm looking back through the kind of the list of the different adaptations of where sometimes it appears that comedies lend themselves to the kind of small screen to big screen jump better than what non-comedies do. I don't know if that's something that the two of you found as well when you were putting together your lists or... Yeah, it was the comedies that jumped straight to my head all the time, yeah. Um, but the first one I picked is uh, Borat, cultural... Mm-hmm. What's it? Um cultural learnings of America for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan, um, which obviously Borat was a character from Ali G in the House, mm-hmm. where he was a, a Kazakhstani reporter, and the character developed from there. And it is just the funniest film. In a, in a mockumentary style, Borat goes to to America to, to learn about America because he is um, uh, an envoy from Kazakhstan. And it is... It is um, just unbelievably funny. I haven't watched it for a long time, but I, every time I have watched it, I'm in stitches from start to end. It was, I think, because it was so shocking, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because it, it's, it's there is a there is a narrative to the film, but uh-huh. the people that Borat is meeting in typical um, Ali G TV show fashion, Sash Barracone fashion, when he's doing these things, the people he's meeting are unaware that this is a character. Yeah. They think it's real, and it's just unbelievably funny. Well, that's the thing that made Ali G so funny before, wasn't it? When you would, when he would occasionally start interviewing people who had no idea he was a parody. Yeah, and it was like he got to the point where he was so famous that he couldn't do that anymore. So to so take for, the well, character, first he went to America, didn't he, with it? 
Yeah. So because because yeah. everyone in Britain knew who Ali G was, he became his cultural phenomenon, his TV phenomenon. So he, then he took it to America, so where he could go again with people who didn't know who he was. Mm-hmm. Then he had to come to a stage where he had to create other characters like Borat and Bruno, mm-hmm. and did exactly the same with them because they were both a letter at Borat. This movie is just from from him kind of at the rodeo um, to to the naked fight in the hotel. Yeah, is just you know side-splittingly funny and the the running of the jew and all that stuff at the beginning was just yeah. <laughs> it was so so offensive but and was I it mean, was was it the point was, was mean, it this or was it the tv show the song throw the jew down the well it was it was from the film with, well with, i don't know if it was originally in the tv show but it was definitely in with, the film. Uh, with all the people clapping along and singing not really realizing what they were doing i think a few of them yeah. cottoned on but he's you know throw yeah. the jew down the well and all these people are just singing along with him. It's it's kind of scary in a way, isn't it? The things you can just convince people to do out of politeness. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I was watching a clip of Bruno the other day, the TV show, where he's getting all these frat boys to start just sort of like really being macho and over the top. And then the end just goes something like for Austrian gay TV. And they all just start <laughs> freaking out at him and going nuts and trying to assault him. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not his biggest fan, but that Bruno, I'm sure that sort of predates. That goes way back, doesn't it? Because I'm sure you know when um, Comedy Central Channel, when that was mm-hmm. Paramount when it first started on our tellies, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that was like a an intermission type short he used to do as um, a fashion designer because you got that and you got. Um, Matt Lucas and David Williams, didn't you, doing, um, was it called Mash and Peas or something? Oh, yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You don't realise how long ago that was. Sort of I mean, it is donkey years now, isn't it, sort yeah. of thing. And you look how big they are now, how Williams has got so big, he's sort of beyond me and Matt Lucas. Um, yeah, how big they are now. I mean, I'm sure that Bruno was on that sort of similar time. Mm. Um, as the same thing as the masterpiece, a sort of ten-minute filler sort of thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, I have I've never watched the film Bruno. Um, no, because no, no, again, right. it's one of those I I heard sort of uh, very low opinions of. Um, mm. But I, I think he's still a very well. I say I think he's still a good character actor, Sasha Baron Cohen. I, I think only Borat is his good. It's his only good film that I've seen. I wasn't a fan of Ali G the movie. Um, it doesn't seem to be. Do- I mean, the dictator was pretty pish, wasn't I mean, it? Really, the, the thing with the Ali G movie was that he took it away from being um, like the mockumentary, like Borat, and made it him into an actual fictional character and a fictional storyline mm. with you know other fictional characters. And I think that's probably where that went wrong. Whereas, if he could have but that, worked, that's because yeah. people knew who he was. Yeah. at that it was. It it's like you know. <laughs> jackass stuff you know when that was going around and everyone had suddenly you know everyone knew who bad margera was everyone knew who johnny knoxville was it was like you can't really pull pranks on people when they know who you are yeah like yeah. that but he's done well to get such a big career out of out of uh what he started with to be fair to him grimsby was terrible mm. um but anyway yeah uh, liam what's your your first pick uh, my first one, um, South Park the movie. 
Oh, we've got a bit of crossover here as well. That's oh. good. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a huge South Park fan. I've been from the start. Um, it's, I think what it is, it's, it is incredibly juvenile. <laughs> well, you, you say that, but for me, that this is the movie was was where, for me, South Park stopped started to move away from being completely juvenile. And I'm sure there is some satire and everything in the first few series, but before the, the movie came out, it just did seem to be cartoons of kids swearing and yeah. and stuff <laughs> like that. And then from the movie onwards, for me at least, it seems to have got while it is still a cartoon with kids swearing and that, it does seem to have been more satire and funnier in effect, but, you know, more taking apart celebrities or current events or things like that. Yeah. I mean, that's what it... Yeah, that's what I was, I was going to say. It's like, it started off so juvenile. I think it's one of the last places to actually see clever, sort of analogy-based satire, rather than just a repeat-and-sneer type satire. Mm. Um, I mean, mine's drawn straight to the um, sex addiction, uh, sex ad- addiction episode with uh, you know where they have a go at Tiger Woods and David Letterman and things like that. And it turns out it's something in the ink of the money, and as soon as the people <laughs> have too much money, they suddenly decide they can have sex with whoever they like and behave however they like. I mean, I, that's one of my favourite comedy episodes of anything. I think it's a Absolute worker genius. Um, <clears throat> with the film itself, again, using the word genius a lot, but I really do think this is <laughs> just that how you get so much utter, complete filth into great big Disney pers- uh, performance songs, showstopper type song performances is beyond me. I mean, the man is, I mean, I think what it is is there's the two of them, there's uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And mm-hmm. I think Trey Parker is. An absolute one hundred percent genius, and Matt Stone makes good tea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the credits on anything they do between them, I think that's the case. You know, he makes the tea and has got good weed contacts or something. I don't know what's <laughs> going on there with them. Um, Have you seen a documentary about how they produce a, an episode of South Park? I, yeah, I did, but ages and ages ago. It's called uh, So Many Days to Air, isn't it? Because that's how quickly they turn oh, around yeah, the episode. Seven, seven Days to Air or Six yeah. Days to Air, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of it all. Uh, the plot of the film, for anyone that hasn't seen it, is that um, it's basically um, having a go at their critics because mm-hmm. the kids who... Uh, the children in the film go and see a film by these Canadian comedians, Terence and Philip whose whole act is basically occasionally swearing, but just farting a lot. Um, and kids find it hilarious. Start repeating the, the swear words they hear in this uncut version of the Terence and Philip film. And, of course, the parents, one of the parents in particular, who is a constant um, overreactor, goes into complete meltdown. The whole thing is basically just um, a warning against... Over censorship, over censorship, and what happens when the perma offended get uh, actually listened to and given a little bit of power, and it, it turns from being ban a film for it being a bit sweary to um, two fellas getting the death sentence, America and Canada declaring war on each other, and then Saddam Hussein and his boyfriend Satan come back to Earth, come up to Earth to take over the place. Um, sounds outlandish, is very outlandish. Um, I don't think 
I've ever heard songs quite well. I mean, these are just enormous big show tunes that wouldn't, if you ignored the words, you would not, um, they wouldn't sound out of place in any Disney production, in any West End production. I mean, there's one that sounds like something straight out of Les Miserables. Um, mm. some, of the, some of the songs are great. They are. They're the funniest things in them, aren't they? The, uh, the, the um, was it the one at the medley as well towards the end? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Um, even though it cracks on and takes the piss out of itself with the time. When did this song become become a marathon? Sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, yeah. But for all the the clever songs in it, I still think the funniest one, the one that has me virtually on the floor, is every time is Kyle's mum's a bitch. Uh, <laughs> well, they go all around the world with these little kids singing it, you know. Uh, yeah, so it is a. I must say, use the word genius a hell of a lot. But this is a warning about censorship. It's incredibly funny. The songs are brilliant, and um, I rewatched it uh, the other day to make sure I did still want to put it on here, and I, I just did. I, I laughed and laughed and laughed at it, and. That's, I mean, I saw it at the cinema when it came out. I bought the DVD when that came out, and I've watched it since. And often I think when you see something in the cinema with a lot of other people, you can get carried along into thinking something is really, really funny. And then you see it on your own or with like just one or two of you in the room at home on the DVD. And, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it wasn't as good as I remember, sort of thing. But uh, no, this stood, this stands multiple watches. Um, yeah. That's my first choice, and uh, and I'm prepared to stand by it. <laughs> well, Lloyd, as this is one of your choices as well, you'd probably best um, do a bit of talking about it. <laughs> well, I will mention it, and then I'll pick my second choice, because I've gone for a, something different yeah. <laughs> as my second choice specifically. But I... Um, yeah, I will be very brief. Uh, South Park was, was... I mean, when I was at school, and me and Steve were the same age, so yeah, you probably have the same experience. 30. Yeah, nearly, almost. When are you, when are you 30? Uh, 11th of August. Or before me, then. Just a little bit older, yeah. Um, I'd have been a different year but, to you at school, though. Were you? Well, yeah, because if you're August and I'm October, it would have been... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Weird, so, Ali. Ali, Ali. I know it's got to be a divide somewhere, but it just seems weird that we can be... You could be three months older than me, yet a different year to me at school. Yeah, well, I was always one. I was always one of the youngest yeah. in the class, the smallest. So you must have been what one of the eldest. Yeah. yeah. Hey, anyway, that's anyway. for everyone. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. interested. In yeah. that. Uh, what I was going to say was when I started uh, secondary school, South Park was was huge. It was everywhere. It was just started to come over to the UK. Um, all my friends and I well, the friends that I was making at secondary school, it was one of those things we could talk to each other about because... It was on Channel 4, wasn't it, late at night? It was It was on Channel 4. We had a few copies on VHS that my dad got for us off a friend of his before it was actually shown on the UK TV. Mm. Um, and I don't think he really knew quite what he'd gotten for probably us. Thought it was just, probably thought it was a Simpsons type thing. I would have thought so, yeah. It was on, it it was on after Euro Trash, I think, so... Yeah. Oh wow. Well, uh, you should have known better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know how I managed to concentrate after Euro Trash, really. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But it was just it was just full of swearing 
uh, the humour wasn't like anything I'd seen in a cartoon at that point in my life. It was just, it was amazing. And suddenly it just blew up and was everywhere. It just suddenly just, you know, everyone had seen South Park. Um, it was a bit of a phenomenon when it came out. Um, it blew me and my mates all away. And I think it, it was, you know, er, when you're in your early teens, it's also the point where you start to to notice or at least appreciate some of the more subtle elements to comedy like that. And it was just probably, you know, beyond just the offensiveness is what I'm talking about. As, as Liam eloquently put it about all the self-awareness and how it was m- mocking its own, um, you know, place in society, if you like. And having the fucking gusto to do it with a musical comedy, you know, and not just like the balls either, but the talent to do it so well. It's just incredible. It's just an incredible uh, piece of filmmaking, a piece of satire. Uh, I don't think the track park with Matt Stone, I don't think they've bettered it before or since. And I say that as someone who's really a big fan of Team America. But I don't think they've made anything... Although I am yet to see Book of Mormon. I really did want to see it, but I just haven't had the opportunity or the money. Um, but bigger, longer and uncut, uh, the South Park film, just it's phenomenal. It's absolutely spectacular. Um, but yeah, I was going to talk... Shall I just go straight into my second choice and then I'll shut up for the rest of the triple bill? Go on, then. Let's talk. My second choice is clearly the best Star Trek film. You know, I purposefully put it second on my triple bill too, because it's Star Trek Two. You see what I did there? Because it's two second. Anyway, it's otherwise known as the Wrath of Khan. Um, I think it's also quite fitting for this triple bill because it brings a character, as well as you know the crew of the Starship Enterprise. It brings a character straight out of the original '60s TV series in Khan, who was played by Ricardo Montalban. Um, it's an. I don't know if you guys have seen it actually, but it's an episode called Space Seed from the first season of the show. No, no. are you guys fans of Star Trek at all? Anyway, mm, I've really. I've never really seen. I've seen the, the the newer films and some of the older films, but like I said, I've ne- uh, never really watched any of the TV Trek, series, yeah. the original series, or Deep Space Nine or anything like that. I never really watched yeah. any of them. I've seen the odd right. episode of them. The odd episode, that's it. Wrath of Khan, I know I've seen, but donkeys years ago, and I couldn't tell you a thing about it. But Okay, yeah, that's yeah. good. I will talk about it instead. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah okay, so it's uh, the episode that is from is called Space Seed, which is uh, from the first season of the show. And I think it was three seasons of the original 60s Star Trek show. Uh, I rewatched the episode... Space Seed earlier because Netflix have added every single season of every I've, Star Trek TV I've, show. I've seen that. I saw yeah. that on my Netflix today when I was searching something to watch, and yeah, it was. There's a lot of Star Trek on there now. There's like seven seasons in each sh- each edition of the show. Is it, so it's, it's gone right up from the original series to the. Newest series they did, which was I can't remember which one was it. Enterprise it had, Enterprise, had Scott, Scott Bakula, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, there's Star Trek, Star Trek Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise, and they've also added Star Trek the animated TV series, which was a cartoon from I think the 60s as well. 
There you go. So you could do all of them in if you've got time to watch all of them. We started on the next generation, but I don't think we'll get very far. I mean, I think uh, I think the longest slog of any series I've ever done on Netflix was watching all of Cheers and then all of Frasier. <laughs> Bloody hell! And I think and I think that I think Star Trek would probably top that episodes wise. Mate. Yeah, well, there's like I said, there's about about seven seasons of each show. I'd say on average, so you probably. 26 episodes a season, an hour long for each. It's a lot of shows, isn't it? I think that's a lot of time to I devote th- to. I think when I done when I done the Cheers and Frasier marathon was when I dislocated my ankle playing football, <laughs> and I yeah. couldn't work or walk or play football. So I was, I was literally just watching Netflix, and I started watching Cheers, and obviously Frasier's in Cheers, so I just went straight on. Straight in. Hmm. Hmm. Um, Yes, anyway, carry on about your your <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'd i seen the Star Trek... T- well, the first season of the Star Trek TV show about five years ago uh, when my wife and I watched the uh, the first season. We watched it when it was on TV and it was in much poorer quality uh, than what's on Netflix. Netflix is, is streaming in pretty high definition. Um, although I was taken aback by the CGI. What happened to the dodgy-looking models and miniatures? I don't know what's going on there. A bit like, you know, when George Lucas redid Star Wars. Just put in the CGI Enterprise and stuff. Anyway, uh, originally in the in the show, Khan is exiled to a nearby planet, just a random planet they pass, um, to try out his plans for a... Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's a genetically engineered master race, basically. It was His choice is either that... Or Khan and his followers are sentenced to... Well, they, they're, yeah, sentenced to death, basically. So, uh, Star Trek Two is set about... I think it's about 15 years later, after the TV show. Pretty much continues on from that, when uh, Khan decides to get his revenge. And what I really like most about it is that it's just such a great sci-fi film on its own, Star Trek Two. I love the plot, I think. I mean... It is, it is like I say, just a play on this whole idea of a master race. So, you know, some ambitious scientists led by a charismatic leader, who in this case is a Sikh warrior, who's Khan, uh, who wanted to bring about their own version of peace and end war through eugenics. Uh, the sci-fi setting obviously means that they're all suspended in animation for two centuries, floating around in space uh, before they're revived, when they can carry on exactly where they left off. But it's just great. I mean, the concept of the Genesis Project as well, which is a kind of terraforming of a planet, which isn't actually meant to create life out of nothing, but create the conditions for life to form naturally. You know, that's quite a neat concept, really. When you think of terraforming and you watch, I don't know, um, whatever sci-fi film is doing it lately, they just drop a pill on the planet and suddenly everything is full of team is teeming with life. It's different. And I think... It's a subtle difference, it, it, but it counts. It makes it something um, interesting, you know? And even in the film, although Khan is the villain, he's not actually particularly villainous, if you like. If he wasn't so hell-bent on getting revenge for Kirk, uh, you know, he might not actually have turned out to be so evil. And I think Montalban and Shatner, they just work so well together in this, even though they don't actually, at any point, appear on scene, in any particular scene together. They're not on screen together at any single moment in the film, which is odd. 
And it's an odd decision. Um, but it's, it means basically the threat isn't always physical. It's the character's ideals that are at stake when they clash. Which, again, is something um, perhaps above a lot of... Particularly the Into Darkness film, which, you know, in lots of cases was just fisticuffs were how they settled arguments. You know, this they have to come to more... Um, you know, perhaps less physical ways of dealing with things. So, um, and also the way they see the world is completely different as well, which which helps. So it's it's well directed. Uh, the, there is lots of action, but it's it's an intelligent science uh, science fiction film, and it just looks fantastic as well. It's by far the best Star Trek film for my money. Unfortunately, it's not on Netflix, um, but you know, you could start with the like say watch the episode Space Seed and see if. Khan piques your interest. Okay. Second film on my list is one that we've spoke about umpteen times um, on this podcast. That's 21 Jump Street. Now, obviously, I've never seen, not like Owen um, and his criteria for picking films, I have never seen any of the TV series of Jump Street. Um, and I think it was one of these surprise successes, the film. Um, and then the sequel as well. Both kind of surprise successes. The first one, both starring um, Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum, um, about two two cops have to go undercover first in a school, then in a college. Um, yeah, no one was. I don't think anyone was expecting the first one to be a success. And then I think everyone was um, expecting Twenty Two Jump Street to suffer from sequel syndrome and not be very good not be very funny, it just kind of being the same jokes, hitting the same notes, but not being as funny the second time around. Both films are, are very, very funny. Um, both Hill and Taysom are, are very good in them, as is Ice Cube, actually, as well. Um, unsure what to think of the Jump Street Men in Black crossover that's being made. Mm, but again, these are things yeah. that we've spoken about umpteen times on here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said as well last time we talked about it I won't go on about it like I said I'm going to be quiet <laughs> but the I only watched it because you kept going on about how funny it was and I was I was of the same opinion of like expecting it to be terrible uh, just you know generic American comedy and it was it was quite funny actually it was it was surprisingly good um, is it your cup of tea, Liam? Or are you not a fan of that um, sort of thing? Funny or? enough, for something of its age and origin, I have actually seen this. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, the first one, not the second one. Yeah, it was okay. Mm. Um, I wouldn't moan about it too much. I wouldn't. Um, yeah, it was. I didn't moan about it at the time. It was pretty good. Um, yeah, quite happy with it. Okay, uh, Liam, what's your second choice? Um, second one, this is not from actual. A program of its own. It's a characters-based one um, from Saturday Night Live. It's the Blues Brothers, um, which I don't know if, I've, <laughs> if I'm breaking rules here, but I am going to crowbar in anyway. It was a sketch several times on the Saturday Night Live in the seventies, and then turned into a real band, and then turned into a film in 1980. Um, I'm not going to rattle on very long because this film I can talk for hours on because it's. Uh, I absolutely adore it. I own many different copies and versions of it. And it's... Well, blues music is is my one of my big loves. And uh, despite the name, um, 
there's not actually that much in the way of blues in this. Most of it's R&B or soul. But um, basic story for anyone who hasn't seen it. Um, it's two habitual criminals who, uh, when they get out of prison, they find out that the orphanage that brought them up is going to be closed if they don't pay their taxes. They set about trying to get their band back together to raise the money for the tax, and it all goes horribly wrong, <clears throat> as you'd expect. Um, the reason I think it's just so brilliant is there are so many wonderful, real musicians in that film that um, most people probably won't recognise of it. I mean, even the Bruce Brothers band themselves, there's people like um, Steve the Colonel Cropper and Duck Dunn, Willie Hall. I mean, these are all people who were in things like uh, Booker T and the MGs. They were the backing band, the Stax House Band, which means they're on records, most of the records by people like Sam and Dave, Otis Redding, Wilson Pickett, the big, huge soul hits that everybody, if they don't, if they can't name them by name, when they hear them, they know them, and sort of, there's virtually nothing to dislike about. Um, my favourite bit in it is where they go to get um, Matt Murphy and Blue Lou from Aretha Franklin's cafe. Uh, the reason I, I like it so much is, and it, you have to get the, um, what they call the theatrical release for this, is there's a musician playing in the street as they approach. It's John Lee Hooker, who's one of my absolute favourites. And in the, main, the usual cut of the film that's shown, he's on for maybe 10 seconds, if that. He gets the full song in on the theatrical version and it uses the most important, <clears throat> some of the most important sidemen going. There's, um, they're all out of Muddy Waters, ex-Muddy Waters band members, which were the real cream of the cream sort of thing. You've got people like Pine Top Perkins, the piano player, and Big Walter, um, Horton, uh, one of the best harmonica players going, only Little Walter and Sonny Boy 2 were probably better than him better known than him at the time. Um, let's see, I could bore the arse off of anybody on this film because I absolutely adore it. It's extremely funny. Um, the music's fantastic all the way through. Um, it's one of the most parodied films. I mean, if you watch Family Guy, the number of uh, cutaways or little sides they have uh, that are out of the Blues Brothers is ridiculous. There's constant out of them about it. Um, it's... Uh, <clears throat> it's even got, a, I'll tell you what, it's got a weird little fact that a lot of people know, some don't, is that uh, Steven Spielberg's actually in it briefly uh, towards the end as a, a clerk in the tax office. And uh, <laughs> um, I, I love everything about this film. It's extremely funny. Uh, the music's brilliant. There's enormous car chases and enormous, it's most famous for the huge car crashes, isn't it? You know? And um, mm -hmm. there's only two problems I've got it. One, I've got this irrational hatred of one dancer, you know, he's in a couple of scenes, <laughs> okay. and um, the one, the main one is outside Ray Charles's store, there's a huge dance scene, that the whole street's full of people dancing, there's one bloke who comes somersaulting in, in a blue and white check shirt, and I hate him, and I don't particularly <laughs> know why, um, there's no rational reason for it, he appears several times in that dancing, and he's in one of the others, and there's something about him that I don't know what it is, whether he's, he seems to be mugging extra for the camera or as everyone's just getting on with it. Don't know why, but I've got a huge problem with that. And uh, the second thing I don't like is uh, 
tribute acts. They're, they're a huge number of tribute acts. And twats who like dressing up like the characters. I've got no time for that one. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of them. But um, as I say, I'm going to sharp about this now because I think it's just one of the best films there has ever been. Okay, my final choice, as we're already done hearing from Owen, um, is <laughs> is a collection of films, really. Um, not or some a collection of some of the the films under this banner, um, and that's some of the Muppet movies, uh, especially okay. three of them. I could have made a triple bill for just being uh, Muppet Island and uh, the Muppets from two thousand and eleven. Um, I just think they're they're funny. They they got they've got good stories. They're well put on. They they appeal to a broad range of people. Um, they're quite sweet in places. Um, there's a bit of heart to them. They're just enjoyable films all round. I mean, when I watched the Muppets in 2011, when they kind of because the Muppets now have they had another film, the Muppets Most Wanted. They've got a TV show back. Kind of the Muppets made a comeback. And I went into the Muppets film. It isn't going to be that good. I mean, it's it's the Muppets. I've seen their film a lot, but you know, people have probably outgrown the Muppets by now. They've probably moved on from them. It was really good. It was just really funny, and just yeah, an all-round good, funny family film. Uh, and Muppets Most Wanted was okay as well, but you know, Muppet Christmas Carol. You've got to watch it every Christmas. There's no way you can't watch every Christmas. It's probably the, one of the best tellings of A Christmas Carol. And there's been so many parodies and retellings and tellings of A Christmas Carol, but the Muppet one is is one of the best, I think. And Treasure Island is just a great, great romp. A great adventure film. I can't, I can't remember. I think it was James who, or it might have been you as well, I think, who banned me from watching the Muppets movie whilst they were on the podcast. Because uh, of how grumpy I am, and how I was quite like. I think that might have been James. So, I think it was James, wasn't it? Banned me from watching and reviewing it. I mean, I'm about as miserable as they come, and I adore the Muppets. <laughs> okay. Absolutely adore them. Uh, yeah. The 2011 film, was that the one with Jeffrey Tambor in? Was that the one, or was that the... Uh, it had Jason Segel in as the as the main lead non Muppet, oh. and oh, what was the girl? Was it was it Amy Adam? No, it wasn't. Was it? It was um, uh, Rachel um, McAdams. No, it was it was no, Amy Adams. It was Amy Adams. Oh. Um, I'm not sure if I've seen that one, but the others they were totally good, especially um, Christmas Carol. Just wonderful, absolutely wonderful film. Uh, and Liam, what's your final choice? Um, I'll be brief on this one again, hopefully. Uh, it's from a Canadian TV, long-running TV series, The Trailer Park Boys. Uh, um, oh, right, okay. I think I got very lucky getting into these. Um, in the, Again, saying when Comedy Central Channel used to be Paramount years ago, um, mm-hmm. I bumped into a few of these, a few episodes, late at night. And they must have been about halfway through their run because I instantly really liked it. Um, And then I was poking about on eBay, see if I could get any DVDs to catch up on because I could see there was a good few series sort of thing. And, yeah, there were official ones out. 
but somebody was selling a load of hooky ones um, that were just <laughs> everything they'd made, the trailer park boys had made from the start. So I thought, oh, so sake of 20 quid, sod it, I'll have a look. And I must admit, the first, I mean, I'm praising this as being brilliant, but the first series and certainly part of the second series are a struggle. I'd say if you started watching it from the start, and that was your initial introduction, you might struggle to stay with it. Because it is it is cheap and nasty. Um, and it's it, they struggle to get it going, to be honest. But anyway, what the stick is, is that um, it's a two-camera mockumentary type thing. But it's, I mean, this predates the vast majority of them. I think they started around 1999. Um, mm. There's been 10 series so far with more to come. They're on Netflix now. Netflix are making the last two or three episodes, uh, two or three series. There's been, I'd say, ten, and they're still coming. There's been about three or four spin-off TV movies, and then there's been three cinematic release movies. And the one I'm going to choose is the first one because um, it still has the, all of the originals in before a few left over huge money rounds that went on, and it's before they took the, um, the one character who is. I mean, he's described as a crazy drug bastard, Mr. Lady. Um, they took him, they've taken him a bit too far for my liking now. And instead of sort of laughing at a, a man who's drunk and doing stupid things, he's now a drunk who's helpless and causing problems, you know? And I, I think I might be a touch sensitive on that because I've got a mate who uh, did go too far with, with things and just things went horrendous for him, you know? Um, but mm. to get on with this, um, the whole stick starts. Um, it's Ricky, Julian, and Bubbles are the three main guys in it. They're constant career criminals, all grown up together in the in the uh, trailer park, and are closer than the closest brothers most of the time, until they have fallings out and then the guns get pulled out. But the whole deal is that um, it started off with. Julian getting out of prison, deciding he was going to change, turn his life around, and he hired a film crew to document him, uh, his planned rags to riches story, um, which needless to say doesn't work out, and they always end up back in jail by the end of every series. The um, this film documents them trying to get uh, do what's known as the big dirty, which is their one big hit. The idea is to do. Uh, one big hit and then retire. Never have to do anything again. Needless to say, it doesn't go right. But um, the characters in this are brilliant. There's Julian, who's the brains of it. Big muscle man type he is. Uh, the, the best thing about him is he constantly has a glass of rum and coke with ice in his hand. Constantly. <laughs> um, the only time you don't really see a glass in his hand is when he's in prison. And then he's got the bottom of uh, like a two litre coke bottle cut off and he's using that instead and <laughs> I mean there's even bits where there's a huge car crash and the car ends up on its roof and steaming um, it's a bad crash and you're thinking oh everybody's been killed inside and all of a sudden all you hear is this little jingling of ice and uh, <laughs> Julian comes crawling out of the window sort of thing still with glass in hand full sort of thing um then you've got Bubbles, who's... I mean, Julian's the brains. Bubbles is the sort of heart and the calming influence. He's 
a very strange character who wears the weirdest glasses you've ever seen. Um, they're extreme magnification, which make his eyes look enormous. Um, he's a strange guy. He lives in the shed rather than a trailer and um, just basically is obsessed with his cats, looking after his cats. Then there's Ricky, who's, I uh, say, Julian's the brain, Bubbles the heart. Ricky's the asshole. And that's it. It's, a, it's just <laughs> constant um, obsession with getting drunk and stoned. His life revolves around trying to grow dope plants, sort of thing. Um, uh, the thing is, if you buy into these characters, there's, I say, there's so much material they've done over the years that it's got its own little universe, and um, the side characters are all brilliantly well done, certainly in the early part. I mean, their main nemesis is the trailer park supervisor, Jim Leahy. Uh, he's a bisexual ex-cop who got sacked. He's generally known as a crazy drunk bastard. And uh, his partner in both senses of the world, because uh, they're a couple and he's the assistant trainer, is Randy. Um, is he the guy who's yeah, always the shirtless? the guy, Randy, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, um, yeah. An ex-male prostitute. <laughs> uh, his alter ego is <laughs> known as Smokey. Which basically means it's just Randy with a cowboy hat on, and he um, sets up his patch for um, for prostitution outside the cheeseburger shop, and he just basically makes it a round <laughs> circle, just as he calls it, hooking for cheeseburgers. And, uh, uh, as I say, there's a whole big universe of all these different side characters. Uh, there's all those. There's J Rock is one of the, the best one, the white guy, the blonde white guy rapper rapper who is completely 100% convinced that he is black and he's blacker than the blackest <laughs> man he's ever met it's the type of thing he says uh, the, there's so many different uh, side characters in this like I say try and give it a go but don't watch the first series first because it's dreadful uh, I think I had the, the same issue um in terms of, I first thought, like accidentally stumbled across it on Paramount as well yeah. years ago and thought it was funny, but I never looked up buying it on DVD or anything like that. So I, when it was on Netflix or when I noticed it was on Netflix, I tried to watch yeah. it from the beginning and I think I watched the first two episodes like, this wasn't as good as I remembered it and gave up. So if there were people who were, who've had the same experience as, as I have, would you recommend a season to start off with? Should you just ju jump to season two straight yeah. away or persevere? You can pick up who's one? who. If you'd, I mean, I think the, the real sweet spot, I think, is probably season three to seven, maybe eight. Uh, no, I'd say seven. Uh, there's some of the, the best comedy I've ever seen in there, in those. Um, two's not too season two's not too bad. One is where well, they're trying to set it all up. It looks as amateurish as it is. I mean, they are most of them are amateurs. A lot of the characters, the people that play characters, are actually people who are hired as crew. And you know, yeah. I mean, genuinely, I mean, Corey and Trevor. I mean, one's a director and one's a sound man and things like that. You know, <laughs> um, and they just got dragged in ended up being actors in it um, and that's, that happens a lot throughout these people and not all of them are actors, the one that plays Lucy, who's she's quite a big part in it Ricky's on off girlfriend then wife um, I mean I remember reading something about her that's the only acting she does is Trailer Park Boys, she's an officer in the Canadian Air Force 
Um, <laughs> right. Uh, which, I mean, must get her, especially if she's, I don't know how senior an officer she is, but the part she plays, mm. I mean, you can imagine it being right before sort of piss-taking off of any genius because, I mean, she's, she's an absolute yeah, yeah, mess. Also. The, the character's an absolute mess sort of thing. So, anyway, that's my final one. Um, if you're going to start it, maybe Series 2, but certainly Series 3 onwards is, is very good. Okay, well, that is nearly all for the Fail Critics podcast for this week. Just left for us to do some recommendations for you people for the the week ahead. I'm hoping Owen's got his sorted by now. I do, yes. I'll start off. I am going to go with something that's come onto Netflix this week, uh, uh, brand new to Netflix. It's not a TV show. It's not a film. It's actually a a stand-up show. It's Jim Jeffries' latest um, Netflix special, Freedom, um, and that's gone to to Netflix this week. And Owen? Uh, Metro Manila has been added to... Well, it's not been added, sorry. It's going to be... As you're talking about Netflix and, and stuff. Metro Manila will be on Film 4 on Wednesday. Um, well, t- Tuesday evening, Wednesday morning. 10 to 1 in the morning um, on Film 4. It's uh, just a, a fantastic little film. Uh, quite grim and dark images. Uh, it's just absolutely mesmerising. I really love this film. Uh, it's it is very much a thriller. I can't. I'm trying to remember what the which country it's actually. Um, Manila set in. Yeah. I mean, Manila to give you. A, yeah. So uh, the Philippines. Yeah. So it it, it but yes, yeah, absolutely fantastic little film. Um, set your set your recorders. Okay. And Liam, uh, on movie. Uh, movie service they've got a good crop of films on there at the moment uh, just added yesterday was curse of frankenstein one of um, hammer's best from the late 50s christopher lee uh, peter cushing you know what's not to love a love a good hammer horror especially from late 50s <laughs> early 60s period yeah it is a classic that one okay now what have we got coming next week other than my in-depth review of beyonce's formation tour <laughs> Ghostbusters, isn't it? I ain't afraid of no ghosts, but I might be afraid of this film. (laughs) Mm. Mm. Mm, Very good. We shall see. Um, And we'll see if, um, yes, see how that one pans out. Who's joining us? Oh, uh, who is joining us? I think Brian is on for that one, and I can't remember whether it's Brooker or Tony. We have someone anyway. Yeah. Okay. Yes, anyway, thank you all for listening to this podcast. We'll be back next week with Ghostbusters. The Failed Critics Podcast is presented by Steve Norman and Owen Hughes, created by James Diamond, with original music provided by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, remixed by James Yule of JamesYule.com. You can find us at FailedCritics.com, on Twitter at FailedCritics, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash failed critics. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 